0: So right after that healing, we know that Jesus rides into Jerusalem triumphantly. Uh, That's the triumphal entry. But what's interesting here is we see that interaction between Jesus and his disciples and two of his disciples, all of them really, they want to be kind of top dog, right? They hear that Jesus is going into his kingdom and they say, oh, uh, you know, one wants to be on the right, one wants to be left. We want to be top dog. We want to be a different, you know, top of the food chain. We want to be the sharks, right? If we're in this fish tank, we want to be sharks. We want to be on on the top because, Jesus, your kingdom is coming. And um, when I was reading that scripture, it reminded me of that show Shark Tank. Has any of you ever seen that show Shark Tank? Yeah, basically what it is is that um, it's kind of a microcosm of our uh, sort of world and economy, but uh, people who have inventions and, or have a, a business that they are growing, they want it to grow even more. And so they will go to these investors, these sharks, who are already at the top of the corporate food chain. And they pitch their ideas to see if these folks, these investors will buy in to um, their idea, to their company. And some of them are really amusing, like one was a, th- Uh, This guy, he came up with this idea of, hey, we're always losing a sock, so I'm going to sell them in packs of three so that when you lose one, you already have one. Um, (laughs) and, And they have other funny things like that. And some of the ideas are better than the others, but one of the dynamics that happens in this interaction is a lot of times is it... They want more, certain people, they won't invest or they will or they won't because they want more control. In other words, hey, we want to be, we don't just want to invest. We want to be a managing partner that will come in and will invest, but we have to have a lot of say. We want to be a sort of a shareholder, a, a um, yeah, someone in your company that has a lot of power, has a lot of sway. And a lot of times like, well, no, I want power. And, and so the deal doesn't actually get done. And when I watch that show, sometimes it reminds me of Jesus and uh, his invitation to the kingdom. You know, his kingdom is coming, and he invites people into it. But sometimes people say, "No, I, I don't want to buy into that uh, because I-, I want control. Like I, I want to be on the top." And Jesus' kingdom it switch it flips earthly kingdoms on its head because in Jesus' economy, and Jesus, if Jesus is the CEO. He gives his life, right? Self sacrificial love. And, and in fact, any shareholder, anyone who buys into the kingdom of God, Jesus says in our scripture reading, but whoever would be great among you must be the servant. And so if Jesus were to bring that under shark tank, I'm sure they'd be like, no way, we don't want any of that. We, no, we're sharks. We're on the top. And you're telling us we have to be servants of all? No, thank you. I'm out. That's what they'd say. But Jesus' kingdom, it overturns earthly ways. And in our scripture reading, uh, it, it comes out of a context. So the last couple weeks, those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks, you understand that we've been talking about this concept. It's been repeated throughout chapter 19. The first will be last and the last will be first. Remember that? And in chapter 19, at the beginning, there's this contrast between children who are sort of the lower rung of the the social ladder in that time. They come to Jesus. Jesus blesses them, and he, he lays his hands on them, whereas this rich young ruler who would be like on Shark Tank and like one of the sharks, he goes away sad. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And then last week, we saw how uh, Jesus told this parable about vineyard workers. And in God's grace, He gives the last workers the same as the first to emphasize that all are brought into God's kingdom by His generosity, by His grace. The first will be last, and the last will be first. So then, as we come now to our scripture reading in ch- uh, chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus, he plainly tells his disciples that this trip to Jerusalem, this will result in him being crucified. So in, that's why he says, see, we're going, verse 17, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now the disciples, I don't think they quite understand what's going on because they they say, wait a minute, we're going to Jerusalem, the power center of Israel. Jesus, he's the Messiah, the one who will establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And so how is he going to die? This doesn't make sense. But now he's talking about raising again. Maybe that's how it all works. So I think they're a little bit confused as we would be. But what they do understand is that this will be a turning point in Jesus' ministry. This will be a turning point in the kingdom. Even if they don't quite understand, they go, this, yeah, things are changing here. He's going to Jerusalem. He's talking about death. This is a turning point in his kingdom. And then they think, all right, if Jesus is establishing a new phase of his kingdom, then it's time to get in on the highest positions, right? He's establishing his kingdom, so let's get in on those highest positions. So, I don't know if Mrs. Zebedee here, that's James and John's mother, if, if like she comes and she asks Jesus for the best places for her two sons. I don't know if they're like, oh, mom, you're embarrassing us, you know, <laughs> or I think they kind of put her up to it because, or if she did it, they're like, yeah, I hope he says yes, or, you know, mom, you're embarrassing us, but I hope he says yes, um, <laughs> Because the other disciples, they're indignant, right? They're mad at James and John, not the mom, because they ask for these positions of authority. That she says in verse 21, she, she's trying to secure the prime positions for her sons. She says, "Say these to these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom." So they're thinking, okay, the kingdom is coming, so we want to be like Vice President One, and we'll be and Vice President Two. Very interesting. What a contrast. We have Jesus, okay, he's the king of this kingdom. He's the CEO, if you will. He just told them about his self-sacrifice on the cross. And they're trying to get the top positions. Again, maybe they don't quite understand what's going on. But even if they don't, at this point, what did we just talk about? What did Jesus just talk about? The first will be last and the last will be first. He's talking about how he will become last to serve those by giving, you know, by giving his life. And they say, okay, well, I want to be first. Didn't you just hear what he said? (laughs) But then Jesus uses their misunderstanding to reteach two things, two important concepts he's been teaching throughout the gospel. One is the purpose of his kingdom and his mission and how that will be established. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is how his followers are to reflect Jesus' mission and his kingdom in their relationships, and also especially how they interact with um, other people, how they view leadership even. So let's look. The first thing that Jesus reteaches is the purpose of his mission, how his kingdom is established. And again, one of the things they don't quite understand is that his kingdom is actually established through his self-sacrifice. Again, that's very different than earthly kingdoms, but that's why he starts out in verse 18. He says, see, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. But he tells them this because this is not an accident. They they might think, oh, wait, the Messiah is being killed. That's not supposed to happen. Jesus is being clear. No, I'm telling you ahead of time so you know that it is actually supposed to happen. This is how my kingdom gets established. This is his purpose in coming. And And if there's any sort of misunderstanding about that, he clears it up in verse 28. He says, no, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die, to give his life for our sins, and to rise in victory over sin and death. And that's why this purpose is why we see a couple things in the Bible. One is that the Gospels talk about Jesus' life and his death. And as we've read in the Gospel of Matthew, there's lots of teachings and healings of Jesus but they all the gospels, the, the writings about Jesus' uh, life, they they spend a disproportionate amount of time on the last week of Jesus' death. So, for instance, right um, the next verses in verse chapter twenty one go into, like I said, the triumphal entry. That's where we set when we celebrate Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. That's only a week. Well, we're only on chapter twenty one. There's twenty eight chapters in Matthew, so he spends eight chapters. On the last week of his life. Why? Well, because the one of the, the purpose of Jesus' coming, it wasn't just to give a few nice precepts to live your life. No, his purpose was to give his life to establish his kingdom. That's also why when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, which make up most of the rest of the New Testament. You'll notice Paul doesn't often talk about Jesus. He doesn't quote Jesus' teachings that much. He doesn't really talk about Jesus' miracles. Instead, he talks about saying the good news, telling people the good news. And what's that good news he's telling? Well, it's that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead because he understands this is Jesus' purpose in coming. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the gospel, what is the gospel? What does that good news mean? He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins and according to the scriptures, he was buried, he was raised on the third day and according to the scriptures. So Jesus' kingdom, this good news, it is established, not like earthly, Jesus' kingdom isn't established like earthly kingdoms through power, through force. Jesus' kingdom is established through his self-sacrifice. Again, that's, that should flip everything we know of kingdoms, everything we know of, of, of power on its head. The last will be first and the first will be last. You see, when we just try to fit Jesus' kingdom into the kingdom's box, if you will, that we know that we've experienced in this world, we're going to misunderstand it. And that's what the the sons of Zebedee, that's why they misunderstand it. They go, oh, Jesus, you're coming into your kingdom? All right, then we we want to be on top. We want to be vice president one and two. But Jesus says, wait, uh, don't you understand? If you want to be first in my kingdom, you need to be a servant of all. That brings us to the second thing Jesus retaught through this misunderstanding. He retaught His followers, what does it mean? How do we reflect Jesus' kingdom, his mission in our relationships? Because again, the sons of Zebedee, they ask for place number one, place number two in Jesus' kingdom. And it makes sense. That's how earthly kingdoms work. That's how Shark Tank works, right? I want to be in on the top. And You know, they they think, Jesus, I've been following you for a while. I'm one of the inner 12, so I should get dibs on being highest. And again, the other disciples, they're mad. And they're probably mad because they think, hey, not fair. You know, last week we talked about, oh, hey, that's not fair. They want to be first. We should be first. Probably start arguing over, wait a minute. You know, Peter says, no, no, I'm one of the inner three too, so I should be first. And, And Jesus, in verse 25... He teaches them. He, he says, verse 25, Jesus called them all together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, you know in the earthly kingdoms, it's you want to be on top so you can, can control and you can have power and you can give orders. But verse 26, um, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you see the disciples they don't understand the radical nature of Jesus' ministry so they don't understand what that means for them as followers and they also don't understand what does it mean for them as leaders because Jesus is training these 12 to lead the church after he is risen from the dead And since Jesus' ministry was not to be served, but to serve and give his life, this means his followers need to drink from that same cup. That as followers, we need to be okay with being last. We need to be okay with giving up our positions, with living life in loving service to God and others. And that's why Jesus, he asked them, he says, can you drink this cup? When they're like, yeah, we want to be, you know, number one. And and Jesus, well, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you ready? Because he's about to give his life. And they say, yeah, we're ready. And that's a little sus. I don't know. I'm like, are you really ready? I don't know. Um, But to their credit, James and John, when Jesus rises from the dead, when they start being leaders of the early church, they do take that cup. Uh, James is killed for his faith, just as Jesus was killed, okay? And he wasn't crucified by I me, mean, he, was, he was killed. And then John, although he was the only apostle who wasn't killed, he was exiled. So the, all the, the apostles went through tremendous suffering in advancing God's kingdom. And it, Jesus, his kingdom, it overturns how we need to look at leadership, Because leadership is not lordship, it's service. And so he tells James and John, all the disciples, if you want to be first, then you need to be last. If they want to be the CEO, they need to be a servant. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And his followers are called to the same thing, to truly give um, of themselves for God's kingdom. And so if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, I mean, if we want to be Christ followers, right, the goal of the Christian life, you might, it's, it's not to go to church, it's not to do a certain set of things. Really, the goal of the Christian life is to grow t- towards Christ-likeness, all right? Someone want to get that? <laughs> oh. Thank you. Um, tell me you call them back. Uh, the goal of the Christian life it's, it's not to come to church it's, the goal of the Christian life is to grow in Christ likeness right if we're following Christ the goal is to become more and more like Jesus right so if you're not sure what am I supposed to be doing as a Christian we're supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus but we don't rely on our own power we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do that but that's That's the goal, becoming more like Jesus. Our mission here at Second Baptist Church is to worship God, to love people, and grow Christ followers, meaning we want you to follow Christ. Together, we help one another follow Christ to be more and more like Christ every day. That's the goal, and especially if you want to be a leader in the kingdom, that means people are going to be following you, so you better be following Jesus. You better be coming more and more like Jesus because that's the goal. And that's why I believe that, you know, earthly power often corrupts the church. I love church history. I love all history. I like church history. When I read about church history, the times when the Christian church has gone off the rails, has done the, the, the most awful things is usually when they're in power, when we're in power. Because we can't handle it. The the way that the world works, the way the earthly power structures work, it undermines this idea of self-sacrifice, of dying for other people. Uh, This idea was really highlighted for me. I I recently read a a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and theologian in uh, Germany. And... uh, he resisted the Nazi meddling so that the, um, when, when the Nazis came to power, uh, one of the things that they did was they started to take control of the church. And so they had the Reich's church, but he started, it helped start the confessing church where they said, no, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. And, uh, basically, um, yeah, they started to round up these pastors who were of the confessing church, and they put him in jail and all of this stuff. But, um, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he uh, resisted. But what there's so much to talk about him. I really, he's one of my uh, great theologian, but also a, a, a great uh, example of the faith, is that he actually, his friends secured him a teaching position in the United States. And he came to that position right before the war started but he couldn't stay. He went back to Germany because he's like, I can't be here safe in the United States when there are Christians in Germany who are being persecuted. The, the church needs true leadership, not the Reich's leadership, the, you know, with, with Bishop Mueller and, and, and that, that kind of stuff. I need to be back there helping my people. And so even though he knew that it would probably cost him his life, and it did, He went back to Germany and helped the resistance. In fact, he was like a double agent, which is a really cool story. But he understood, Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood that yes, he is a leader in the church, but that doesn't mean he should get the the best, the comfy kind of uh, assignments. No, it meant that he needed to be ready to give his life because that's what his savior did. He was following Jesus, and Jesus went into danger. Jesus gave his life, and that's what true leadership is, and so that's what he did as well. And so what we see as a tragedy, because Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually was killed a few weeks before the Nazis surrendered, is actually a triumph. That when we look at the big picture, we see, now that, that's a Christian. That's someone, and and I I say that what, what we see here is that he served Christ in this amazing way because he gave up the power structures that were existing in that day and he became a servant and he was truly able to advance God's kingdom, even though it cost him his life the proper response of Christ's self-sacrifice and establishing his kingdom. It's not, oh, Jesus reigns, his kingdom is over all other kingdoms. Oh, I'll buy into that because I want to be number one too. Uh, God's kingdom is, is top, so yeah, I want in on that. Oh, it is seeing that if I buy into Jesus' kingdom, if I become a shareholder in Christ's kingdom, that means doing what Jesus did, which is serving, is loving God and people, not just in word, but in deed. So, this isn't just for leaders, though, because you might be thinking, okay, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a great guy, he was a leader. You might be thinking, well, I don't actually want any responsibility in the kingdom. (laughs) Um, I just want to be kind of a lower-rung person in Jesus' kingdom, you know, not much responsibility. But... The thing is, if that's the case, I mean, aren't you still seeking to be served? (laughs) Meaning, well, yeah, no, I want want the good feelings of being a part of the kingdom. I want that reassurance. But that's not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is to become more and more like Jesus. And so to grow in Christ-likeness means we need to grow in service. Dying to self and serving others. And that's why... Your, spirit, your spiritual growth, my spiritual growth is tied to service because how can we grow to be more like Jesus without serving? You know, a lot of people say to me, Pastor Joe, I want to grow spiritually. I'm like, oh, that's exciting. I want you to do that. And so, uh, you know, how can I do that? A lot of times, you know, I'll say, well, prayer and scripture reading. So we fill up with God's word and we need to do that. And that's important. But a lot of times people who ask me this are those who have been Christians for a little while. and like, I'm kind of stagnant. And the next question I often ask is, all right, well, are you serving God? Because... We can't grow to be more like Jesus if we're not serving, because Jesus, he was a servant, right? He came to be, not to be served, but to serve. So we need to think of a spiritual discipline as, yes, prayer, yes, scripture reading, but also serving God, serving him in some way, serving others. And a lot of folks say, all right, Pastor Joe, you're always talking about, you know, finding an area of service. And that's a part of my job as a pastor, to help each person step into the area of service that God has gifted them and called them to. And you may think, oh, that's just because Pastor Joe wants to grow the church and grow the ministry. And although, yeah, I want the church to grow, I also want you to grow. And I understand that we can't grow without service because Jesus was a servant. They go hand in hand. So yes, it's true for leaders, but it's true of any Christian who wants to be more and more like Jesus. It means you'll be called to serve. Many people, you know, you can go to church for decades and decades and not grow because you have that mentality of, all right, what do I get out of it? You know, yeah, I'll buy into it as long as I'm getting a lot out of it. But there comes a time where God keeps pouring into you his gifts, his blessings, Where in order to grow, you go, God has blessed me so much, now it's time for me to serve others with that. And that's a part of being Christ-like. So what's your response to Jesus establishing his kingdom through self-sacrifice? If it's, oh yeah, God's number one, so I want to be on God's side so I can be number one, then maybe you don't understand the kingdom. Because people are always buying into Jesus for the benefits Right? So they can tap into God's power, his resources. And now I can have more control of the world around me. But that's not Christ's kingdom way. I say, ah, I follow Jesus so that I can, you know, I can enjoy my best life now. But the call to Jesus is a call to service christ's kingdom is god's love it's loving people loving others and the blessing of that is there any return on investment in this world yes there is but sometimes we don't see it in this world or sometimes because god's kingdom and his story and his purposes are so much bigger than any one of our lives any life that we often don't see that return but we trust god and this is why we trust him because sometimes when someone gives you a pitch, hey, I want you to invest in this company, I want you to be a part of what they're doing, you know, they'll say, yeah, you'll get a return on your investment, just trust me, right? Some of, the, some of those people on Shark Tank is like, yeah, this is a good company, just trust me. And they're like, I'm gonna trust you. But we shouldn't think of Jesus like that. Yes, should we trust Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, buy into my kingdom. You might have to give your life, you might have to serve others, but trust me, It'll all be good. He says, follow me. You you see the difference? It's not like Jesus is just saying, yeah, um, you need to do all this stuff for the kingdom. You need to be a part of my kingdom and just sort of trust me. It's all going to work out. No, he says, follow me. It's not like I want you to give your life for other people. I want you to serve others. He does it himself. He does it first. He gives his life and then says, oh, follow me. So we're not following a God who doesn't understand what it means to empty himself and become nothing to serve some people who are often ungrateful because we're often ungrateful. And yet he still poured out his life for us. So it's not just, hey, trust me, I want you to buy into this. It's follow me as I give my life to others, as I become the last, even though I am first. I want you to follow me in that. And there's a wonderful return, even if we don't see it, in that we're a part of God's big story. So Jesus is inviting us to service. Jesus is inviting us to follow him into this amazing kingdom. And we're not, we don't even see the half of it right now, but we do still see some. And so I invite you, if you're wondering, all right, well, how do I respond to this? Just ask God, God, first of all, trust in Jesus follow him, and if you've never done that before, if you've never made that commitment and said yes to Jesus, I wanna follow you, that's what you need to do today because we can't serve God in the way he calls us on our own strength. Like, I don't have the love in me to love you like, like God loves you. I just don't have it in me. But when Christ fills me with his love, then I can love at a higher level, right? I can't be patient the way that I need to be patient on my own. God has to fill me with that. And so that's why the first thing, if you, haven't, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, trust in him, follow him, and he will fill you with his power, his spirit, and he'll transform our lives. So that's the first thing. But then if you've already trusted Jesus, if you're following him, then I want you to ask, Jesus, how can I follow? Um, what are you calling me to follow you in service? There's a way that God has gifted you. There's a way he's empowered you. You've gone through your experiences so that you can serve God and serve others. And so what does that mean for you? I tell you, I often say, um, you know, it's important to be plugged into a local church. And so the reason, one of the reasons for that is that when it comes to service, we don't serve theoretically. We serve actual people <laughs> We don't love theoretically, we love actual people. And in order to do that, we need to be near them. And so if, uh, you know, I'd love you to be a part of Second Baptist Church. If you're interested in membership, stay for the membership thing. But if for some reason you're like, yeah, I can't serve in Second Baptist Church, find a place you can serve. Because I would much rather have you pouring into the kingdom than just coming here and just going, ah, it's all right. No, go somewhere that you can fully be in and serve, not just for the growth of the kingdom, but for your own growth. But wherever you go, understand that Christ-like growth (laughs) happens because we serve like Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would move in this place. Lord, I thank you that you've gathered us here today. And Holy Spirit, would you work in this place? Would you show us the ways that you've gifted us, the ways you're calling us to serve? And Lord, I pray for every person who's a leader in here that we would serve as you served, that we would willingly um, follow you and serve, not seek to be first, but seek to be servants. Um, Lord, put that in our hearts. Lord, put that in our minds, that we would serve you and serve others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.